0: Thank you for being here. We're in Mark chapter 11. We're moving right along. Uh, this is a, a really exciting transitional point in Mark's gospel. Up to this point, Jesus has been teaching and preaching primarily up in Galilee. Um, this has been his primary interest. Uh, a lot of it has to do with private ministry with his disciples and that. Uh, the apostles, that is, in particular, and then multitudes of other disciples who had begun to follow Jesus, as well as the citizenry of the northern area of Galilee. And of course, a lot of miracles were done there, a lot of uh, teaching and preaching regarding the kingdom and the change that should come upon a person's life who desires to enter that kingdom and be participants in the Messianic rule when Jesus comes. Now, they have begun to make their way to Jerusalem, and they have arrived. They've been making their way. We saw uh, last week they came through Jericho, and there Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus. Significantly, I think, that of all the places and all the time that there was going to be a blind man healed, That it was when he was on his way to Jerusalem, indicative of the blindness of the people and the city and how he could open eyes and cause them to see. And the very next thing you see, it says, now when they came to Jerusalem, they ascended that hill, that long road from Jericho, several miles going up, up, up to Jerusalem. There they could see that that super high, um, you could call it a foyer if you want, uh, this entryway into the temple that rose above the city. And thousands of pilgrims coming from all directions going up to Jerusalem for Passover. Singing the 113th Psalm through the 118th Psalms known as the Hallel as they were going up to the city to make their sacrifice for Passover. And so we find in chapter 11 then, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. These are interesting names because one means the house of unripe figs, and the other one, the house of figs. Well, that's going to be significant in a moment as we learn about the fig tree. And so at the beginning here, Jesus says, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. By the way, that's significant as well. Many times (coughs) when a animal was being used for some high, sacred purpose. It was an animal that had never been ridden on, never been, had a yoke upon it, never been used by any man. And such it was here with the Lord Jesus. And he tells them, loose it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. And so they went their way and they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. And so, (coughs) excuse me, they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. So this colt. Jesus told them exactly where to go, what the situation would be, how they would find it, and when they did, they recognized immediately what Jesus had told them. Now it says there, they threw their clothes on it and he sat on it, of course, to make a saddle for him so he wouldn't have to ride bareback. And then many of those, it says in verse 8, spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. All of this indicative of what was done when a high official, such as a king, was coming to enter a city. The way was prepared. Just as John the Baptist was preaching concerning Jesus, prepare ye... The way of the Lord. When a king would come, it was like, well, it's sort of like in the islands now. In the islands, when the queen was going to come visit, what'd they do? They went out and paved a whole bunch of streets, and they made it real nice. Cleaned up all the downtown area, got all the good things, you know, looking for the queen's visit. They did the same thing. They went out and repaired all the roads. They made the entryways to the city looking nice, which, by the way, they could stand to do that here in our town, too. I want to cringe every time I come out from the airport thinking, you know what? People that come to visit the city here and then they come out and see all these weeds growing up, you know, and all that. I said they would just clean that up a little bit. It would sure help the appearance. But anyway, that's my rant. Now now for the story. So they made the way beautiful. And here comes the king. Here comes Jesus making his what we call the triumphal entry to the city. But he doesn't come as an ordinary king. He doesn't come in a chariot. He doesn't come riding horses. He doesn't come with an entourage of royal officials. He comes with his lowly disciples and apostles. He comes riding on a donkey. He comes with clothes for a saddle and branches and clothing spread out on the road as his pavement. There's nothing glamorous nor royal whatsoever about the manner in which Jesus came in presenting himself as a king. And yet, in spite of that, verse 9 says, Those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name, in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna just means save, we pray. And it comes from that Hallel that we talked about. It was very familiar to the Jewish year. They had been singing it on their way up to Jerusalem. And so, if you if you look at uh, Psalm one eighteen and verse twenty five, <clears throat> Psalm one eighteen. And verse 25, which, by the way, is one of my favorite psalms in in all the, the Bible. Where he says, Save now, I pray. Hosanna, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That psalm was sung by the pilgrims in anticipation of that day when Messiah, the coming one, would appear. And now as Jesus comes riding on this donkey into the city, they acknowledge exactly who he is and his presence with them. Hosanna, save now, O Lord, save us, we pray. (coughs) Hosanna in the highest. That was an appeal for God in heaven to save in the person of the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, they were looking immediately for the kingdom to appear. They were looking immediately for God to break off the shackles of of Roman domination and set them free from all the oppression that they were having to undergo by the Roman government. And so he says then in verse 11 Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. This is such an amazing thing to me because he didn't you know, most, most kings would have just gone right down the main thoroughfare, right down through the city for everybody to see them, everybody to praise and exalt the king. But Jesus stopped right there. Now, one of the key things to indicate here is to know that the king was present. But he went immediately to, to the temple why did he do that well it tells us there he went into the temple and when he had looked around at all things <coughs> he had looked around at all the things going on there what was going on corruption absolute corruption When we go back to Mark chapter 1, and you remember how we read there that John the Baptist was calling the people out of the city of Jerusalem, out into the wilderness, where he was calling them to repent (coughs) and to be baptized. For what reason? To make a break. To make a break with all that corruption that was going on in the city of Jerusalem and in particularly in the temple worship. And he was calling upon them to repent and turn from that wickedness and make a clean break from the corrupted Jewish religious system and begin to live for Yahweh. Begin to live in light of the soon coming one whom he says, I'm not worthy to even bend over and unloose his sandal. And so we find this same thing going on here. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, he comes to the temple and he looks around at all the things that was going on. But the hour was late. And so he left. Now, there's, it's an interesting thing in Mark's gospel, but in Mark's gospel, several times it says Jesus looked. As a matter of fact, um, back in chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Verse 30, chapter 3, verse 34, it says, He looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Verse, chapter 5, verse 32, it says, He looked around to see her who had done this thing. That is, the one who had touched his garment. Chapter 6, verse 41, it says, He looked up to heaven when he was praying to the Father, when he was breaking the loaves and feeding the 5,000. In chapter 7, verse 34, it says he looked up to heaven and he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened, when he was healing a blind man's eyes. Also, chapter 8, verse 33, it says he turned around and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Can you imagine being in that group of 12 and Jesus just, turning and making eye contact with everyone and then rebukes Peter. Chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then finally we have here in chapter 11, verse 11, that he looked around at the things going on in the temple. What was going on there? we're about to find out. And it wasn't pretty. They left, spent the night in Bethany, says at the end of verse 11, he and the, the 12. And <clears throat> the next day, excuse me, which this was the next day of what we commonly refer to as the Passion Week. The next day, when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see it. Perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, he spoke to the fig tree. He says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, that's only the beginning of the story. We have a little interjection here of another thing going on, but it's all tied together. And then we come back the following day, and we find out the result of what the fig tree was all about. A couple things I think we should notice, first off, is he saw from afar a fig tree having leaves. Now, it's Passover time. So it's well to note that, of course, we're in end of March. Well, at this time, it's the beginning of April. Um, You're about a month ahead of time for figs to produce. Here was an unusual tree. It was producing leaves, which was an indication that there should have been fruit, but there wasn't any. Now, that happens occasionally. I mean, even us, we have bushes or trees that will occasionally break forth earlier than some others. I even read one account of a guy. um, He was living in Jerusalem back in the 50s, and a fig tree that was growing out of the the wall of the temple area uh, had produced figs early in the season. And it went for another 10 years after that, and he said it never did produce any more again. So it happens. And, of course, this was on purpose, for the Lord had a very, very important lesson to teach his disciples. But not just his disciples, but the Jewish people. And not just the Jewish people, but you and me. He was looking for fruit, and he found none. Now, we can easily understand the application to Israel. Israel was not bearing fruit. And how do we know that? By the next scene we see here, beginning in verse 13. So they came to Jerusalem, and then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made a a den of thieves." What was happening here? It doesn't tell you expressly, but all of this was going on in the court of the Gentiles. Now, you remember in the vast uh, construct of the, of the temple area, which, by the way, the word here does refer specifically the word for temple. It doesn't mean the temple structure itself. It's talking about the whole temple area, Hiron. It's about thirty acres, <coughs> and uh, excuse me. And in the temple area, you had the court of the Gentiles. Then you had the court of the women. Then you had the court of the Israelites, and then you had the court for the priests and those who ministered in the temple. So you see that each one progressively got a little bit closer to the temple area. Okay, I'll take a drink. (laughs) And um, it was this outer area in the court of the Gentiles where all this nefarious activity was taking place, where they were buying and selling. Now, what was happening? Well, you remember we said there was Thousands of pilgrims coming from all over Israel, coming to Jerusalem to worship at Passover. Many of them had no way to bring a sacrificial animal up to sacrifice. So they would just come up and buy one while they were there. Furthermore, many of them carried foreign currency. The only currency allowed in the temple was a shekel. So they had money exchangers, and boy would they rip them off we think paying 1 or 2% when we go to a foreign country to exchange our dollars is as horrific they would charge 10 to 12% to exchange their foreign currency so they could get shekels in order to make their proper gift in the in the temple at passover also to ensure that they could buy a animal that was fit for sacrifice at Passover. I, I'm just trying to imagine, I sit here and I think in this court of Gentiles, all these people with their tables set up, stacks of money piled high. People with their cages, with their doves in them, so people could by a dove to make a sacrifice. And in comes Jesus walking into this. And he says, is not my father's house a house of prayer? And you have made it a den of thieves or maybe more literally a cave for robbers. Now the whole idea of a cave for Robert, what what, what does a robber do when he's in a cave? Is he transacting business there? No. He's hiding out. It's a place of protection. And here they were in the temple area (coughs) acting as if This was a secure and safe place for them to conduct their business. And Jesus coming, walking in, says, you have made it a den of thieves. And so what does he do? Turns their tables over. Can you imagine the frustration? These guys sitting next to each other and he just upends their tables. And who knows who had how much money? I could just see them. They were so probably ticked off. But you know who was even madder than them? the chief priests and the scribes in verse 18 and i think you should take particular note right here because this this one thing was the beginning of why they wanted to kill jesus he messed up their system and boy did they have a good thing going Because they were making money hand over fist every year at Passover. Every festival that came up when the pilgrims would come to Jerusalem. They had a deal going. And he just turned their little world upside down. Now don't you know for a fact that the chief priests and the scribes got their cut. They were making their money off of this. And so they get upset, verse 18, and they sought how they might destroy him for they feared him because all, in other words, they were plotting. They were making a plan how they could do it. How were they going to do it? <coughs> they feared the people and they were, because they were astonished at his teaching. In other words, the people were, held Jesus as, in such high reverence they couldn't just grab him and haul him off and put him to death they w- the way they would have an ordinary person who's acting so high and mighty as to dump their tables over. And that word astonishment, look back there at chapter 1 and verse 22. In verse 21 it says, they went into Capernaum. This is, of course, up in North Galilee. Galilee. And it says, immediately on the (coughs) Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. It's the same word astonished there as it is here in chapter 11. And that word astonished means to strike with such awe. It's like, it was like we would just say, knocked my socks off. It blew me away at what Jesus was teaching. That's how hard his teaching struck them. And it tells then in verse 19, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, it tells us there in verse 16, he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And you look back to um Well, they came in the morning. I can't remember where the verse was. They entered the city. Apparently, he had been there all day, messing up their whole system, blocking the way. Now, I don't know what exactly it means here in verse 16. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple, whatever it was they were buying or selling, or something, something that people were, were using the court of the Gentiles as a shortcut just to walk through the temple with no respect or regard for what the purpose of the temple was and having no regard for what Jesus says here, my house shall be a house of prayer for all who. Well, in the New King James, it says nations. It could just as easily have said for all Gentiles. That area that they were using was supposed to be a place where Gentiles could come and approach God and pray. And what had they done? They had effectively just shut them out and prevented them from any access to God. What did they do? What? They just let the Jews in. Only the Jews could go into the court of women, the court of the Israelites, or into the high priest area. The Gentiles had no place to go. They had turned it into a marketplace, a shopping center, if you will. And so verse 20, verse 19, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now it's on the next morning. As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Well, here's the finishing lesson to the fig tree. It was dried up from the roots. When Jesus said, let it bear no more fruit, he began at the very roots. And death began to spread through that fig tree. And the whole thing began to wither and die. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God. What an amazing answer. What was Jesus looking? You know, here's Jesus walking down here. He looks afar off and he sees this most unusual fig tree out there. One with leaves. One that, from all respects, would have had fruit growing on it. And he gets up there close, and he begins to inspect, and he sees nothing. Poor old Israel. On the outside, superficially, they look pretty good. Oh, man, I wish wish we had some time to go back and look in the Old Testament of all the denunciation that Jesus gave to Israel through the prophets. How they would go through their religious motions. I always like to turn to Jeremiah chapter 4 and 5. Because Jeremiah says, yeah, they go down, they go down to the temple, they make their sacrifice, and they say, as the Lord lives, that would be like you and me saying, well, praise the Lord. And their heart was not in it. It was just something that flew off their lips with nothing to back it up here. It was all superficial. It was all on the outside. Same way with these leaves on the fig tree. It was all on the outside. But closer inspection showed just how empty the fig tree was. Now, the present-day application for you and me is the same way. We may look pretty good on the outside. And somebody may look at us and say, what a fine Christian. I see all the things they do. I see all the right things they're saying. And they know all the right words. But you get up a little bit closer It doesn't look so good. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a lady at a church just, hmm, what is today's, oh, it was last week. And they were looking for a pastor. And she was telling me about this one pastor that had come and, you know, he was, he'd candidated and preached and everything was looking good. I mean, in other words, who can't say and do all the right things? Who can't break out their, what we call their little sugar stick sermons, you know, when they're candidating and preach their best message? But then the men had a men's retreat. And they invited him to come along. And it was on that men's retreat, she said, his true colors came out. And they said, no way. We have this guy to be our pastor. You see, the leaves looked good from a distance. But when you got up close, it didn't look so hot. Now, what about you and me? That's the point. People might look at us and think, wow, there is somebody who really has it all together. Until you get... A little bit closer Then things don't look so good, and our weaknesses and our imperfections begin to show through. Not that we don't all have weaknesses and imperfections, but I'm talking about the true me. I'm talking about that person whose heart begins to be revealed. And we say. Oh, as the Lord lives. But Jeremiah recorded for us what the Lord said. Surely, they swear falsely. They don't mean it. And so when Jesus responded and said, have faith in God, He was talking about what? True fruit was all about. You'll notice what he goes on to say. Surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. I want you to watch the focus on the heart who does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, by the way, do you see the things that are mentioned here? The the essentials, number one, faith. Number two, prayer. If there's going to be production of fruit in your life, there must be faith and there must be prayer. (coughs) But notice what he says about answered prayer. Prayer. He says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If we try to pray, if we just try to focus as hard as we can and pray, oh God, my Father, da-da-da, and you go on and you pray the most beautiful prayer all the time that you've got something over here against somebody and you haven't forgiven them, then that prayer, Jesus says, is just plain worthless because he's not going to forgive you your trespasses if you haven't already forgiven your brother. They go hand in hand. To hold aught against anyone renders our prayers ineffective. And they don't go anywhere. And they won't get answered. And neither will He forgive you your trespasses. Oh, I know we like to think oh, everything's under the blood. I've been forgiven of all my sins. At the cross, when you met the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins were forgiven. But what have you done since then? And how have we walked before the Lord since that time? Israel wasn't doing such a good job. They had messed the temple area up completely. The whole system of what they were doing Rendered all that they were doing, all the things that they were saying, ineffective. And it was primarily the religious leaders that were the guilty ones. So when you pray, he says, believe. Believe that you will receive them. That's number one. Number two, <coughs> be sure that you have forgiven anybody who has anything against you. Make your heart clear. Clear the way so that God can come down and answer your prayer. And then lastly, So that he can forgive your trespasses. How can it possibly be? And and I know you've heard stories. I've heard them. I know people personally to this day. or I should say as far as I know. Who have never been able to forgive. I know people that cannot pray. Because of what's in their heart. They just can't do it. I don't mean publicly. I mean in any fashion, privately, because of what they harbor right here. I cannot fathom what it would be like on the day of the Lord Jesus when we meet him and stand at his judgment seat and that heart is exposed for what it is. And it'll be too late. Yeah, the fig tree had beautiful leaves. And from a distance, it looked like a great fig tree. (laughs) Boy, one that you would have expected all kinds of prosperous, good fruit. But it wasn't there. It was barren. And you know what? All those pilgrims that came with Jesus, when he entered into that city, and they said, Hosanna. Save us, Lord, I pray. Hosanna in the highest. Save us now in the heaven, O God. Call down and answer our prayers. And give us deliverance. And let this coming one be established as our king. Well, it's going to happen, and it will happen very soon. But it didn't happen yet. Because about 40 years later, Jesus brought that entire temple system down and destroyed it, just like he did the fig tree. He brought it to ruin. And for whatever in the world, I don't know why then we think that God would never do that to us. That Jesus would say on that day, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You don't think that's possible? That's what Jesus told his disciples. So he's clearly telling us that we better guard our heart. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, garrison your heart, protect it. Make sure that what is in my heart is what is in line with God's word and is acceptable unto him. And then we can know that all is right before him. That all of our trespasses will be forgiven. I love James chapter 2, I think it's at verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is victorious over judgment. Judgment. That's the practical application of what Jesus is saying here. About forgiving those who have trespassed against you. Where's your mercy? Show mercy. Forgive. And move on with your Christian life. So that you can walk with God. And know that he hears your prayers. And that he will answer. Let's pray. Father. In Jesus' name, we thank you for not just the lesson that you gave to the disciples concerning Israel and the lack of fruit that the nation was bearing, or the lack of fruit that was there amongst the priestly caste, but the application for us as well. And to know that if our hearts are right before you, if we have humbled ourselves before you, if we have forgiven our brother, his trespasses, then you are there to forgive us. And the windows of heaven are open to hear our prayer. God, I pray that we would recognize the necessity of just praying a list. But to praying a prayer that seeks to know you. I pray, Father, that you would grant it to us and that you would answer that prayer that was prayed earlier by Ken that you would visit with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.